Jesus, I'm starting, is risen indeed. Now there's no need, there is no need for us to prolong the story or complicate it or even embellish it or try to explain it. There's no need for us to try to defend it. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus is coming again. We just need somehow to declare it. Just declare it. Jesus is coming again. Now it all starts in Matthew chapter 16. Now, if you would, you might want to get a piece of paper and jot down these verses. It would be a great Bible study for you to give your children or grandchildren down the road. Maybe just a little training for yourself. But we're going to start in Matthew chapter 16, verse number 26. I see it back here, but I also see it here. But I want you to see it. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes. And here's what it says. And be what? And be killed and be raised again the third day. Jesus was teaching his, his disciples, hey, this is what's going to happen to me. They are going to kill me, but I am going to raise from the dead. Amen. Amen. Now listen, Jesus is risen indeed. Father, we love you. Bless the message tonight. Give me wisdom. Give me understanding. Bless our saints as they listen. God, make us more like you in Jesus' sweet name. Amen. Amen. Betrayed by Judas. Jesus was seized, placed under arrest, and really pushed hurriedly through several trials. All of them illegal trials, illegal, and declared guilty. Now you got to look at the screen because this is a long one. He was declared guilty of first blasphemy and then treason. Look at the screen. Chapter 22, the book of Luke, verse number 70. We're going to run all the way through chapter number 23, verse 24. Now, follow me as I read. This is the Bible. We ought to be all excited about the Word of God. And they said, they, and then said they all, Art thou then the Son of God? And he said unto them, Ye say that I am. And they said, What need we any further witness for? We ourselves have heard of his own mouth. And the whole multitude of them arose and led him unto Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to give tribute to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ, a king. And Pilate asked him, saying, Art thou the king of the Jews? And he answered him and said, Thou sayest it. Then said Pilate to the chief priest and to the people, I find no fault in this man. And they were the more fierce, saying, uh, He stirreth up the people, teaching throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee to this place. When Pilate heard of Galilee, he asked whether the man were a Galilean. And as soon as he knew that he belonged unto Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who himself also was at Jerusalem at that time. And when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceeding glad, for he was desirous to see him for a long season, because he had heard many things of him, and he hoped to have seen some miracle done by him. Then he questioned him 
in many words, but he answered him, nothing. And the chief priests and the scribes stood vehemently accused him. And Herod with his men of war set him at naught and mocked him and arrayed him in, gorgeous, uh, in a gorgeous robe and sent him again to Pilate. And the same day Pilate and Herod were made friends together for before they were at enmity between themselves. And Pilate, when he had called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people, said unto them, Ye have brought this man unto me as one that perverteth the people. And behold, I have examined him before you. I have found no fault in this man teaching those things whereof you accuse him. Nor yet, no, nor yet, Herod, for I sent you to him. And lo, nothing worthy of death is done unto him. I will therefore chastise him and release him. For of necessity he must release one unto them at the feast. And they cried out at once, saying, Away with this man, and release unto us Barabbas, who for a certain sedition made in the city, and for murder, was cast into prison. Pilate, therefore, willing to release Jesus, spake again to them. But they cried, saying, Crucify him! Crucify him! And he said unto them the third time, Why? What evil hath he done? I found no cause of death in him. I will go therefore and chastise him and let him go. And they were instant with loud voices requiring that he might be crucified. And the voices of them and of the chief priest prevailed. And Pilate gave sentence that it should be as they required. Alone now and forsaken Jesus endured the torture of scourging, the humiliation of insults and mockery, and the agony of that walk to Golgotha. That's found in Mark chapter 15, verse 15 through 22. So Pilate, willing to content the people, released Barabbas unto them and delivered Jesus when he had scourged him to be crucified. And the soldiers led him away into the hall called Praetorium. And they called together the whole band. And they clothed him with purple, plated a crown of thorns, and put it about his head. And began to salute him. Hail! Hail! King of the Jews! And they smote him on the head with a reed and did spit upon him. And bowing their knees, worshipped him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe from him and put his own clothes on him and led him out to crucify him. And they compelled one Simon, a Cyrenian, who passed by coming out of the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to bear the cross. And they bring him unto the place Golgotha which is being interpreted the place of a skull. Forsaken. Agony filled. The horror of crucifixion is next. Leaving him suspended for six excruciating hours, 
the last three hours of which were spent in eerie darkness. Mark chapter 15, verse 33 tells us that. And that darkness fell over the entire land until, the scripture says, the ninth hour. You see it there on the screen. By three o'clock that afternoon, he uttered his final words found in Luke chapter 23, verse 46. Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Then he died. Look at Matthew chapter 27, verse 50. It talks about him yielding up the ghost. Do you see it there on the screen? Mark 15, 37, same thing. He gave up the ghost. He died. Luke 23, 46, again, he gave up the ghost. John 19, 30, look at the powerful word of God. What did it say? He gave up the ghost. What happened? Jesus died. He said, I will be killed. He died. Two men, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, took him down from the cross, prepared the body for burial, placed it in the garden tomb. By the way, in John chapter 19, verse 38 through 41, it's a new tomb. And after this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, for fear of the Jews, besought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and, and, and Pilate gave him leave. He came, therefore, and took the body of Jesus. And there came also Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night and brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pound weight. <coughs> took the body of Jesus, wound it in those clothes with the spices, as the man of the Jews is, to bury Wow. Verse 41. Now the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. I've been in that garden. In the garden, a new sepulcher, where it was never man yet laid. A new tomb. Jesus was laid. You see, the chief priests and the Pharisees then had the tomb secured by a large stone, a seal set upon the stone, and a body of men sent to guard the site. Matthew chapter 27, verse 62 through 66. Follow me. Now the next day that followed, the day of the preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees came together under Pilate saying, sir, we remember that the deceiver said, while he was yet alive after three days, I will rise again. Command, therefore, that the sepulcher be made sure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say unto the people, he is risen from the dead, so the last error shall be worse than the first. Pilate said unto them, you have a watch, go your way, make it as sure as you can. So they went and made the sepulcher sure, sealing the stone and setting the watch. 
guarded and sealed, the tomb was silent. As the remained the remains of Christ lay lifeless, untouched and unseen until the early hours of the morning of the first day of the week. Look at Luke chapter 24, verse 1 and 2. Now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came unto the sepulcher, bringing the spices which they had prepared and certain others with them. And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher. Before dawn, listen closely, a miracle begins to occur. Bodily, silently, victoriously, our Jesus rose from the death. Woo! Amen. In resurrection form and resurrection power. Somehow, he walked out of that gravesite alive, leaving the mummy-like wrappings still intact. I won't read it, but it's John chapter 20, verse 1 through 8. You can just look at that story where the wrappings were laid together. When astonished people visited that site that morning, they found the stone rolled away. And the body gone. And then they were asked by the angels, Why do you seek the living one among the dead? He's not here. But he's risen. Come on, church. But he's risen. Amen. We can all say amen. He's risen. Luke chapter 24, verse 5 and 6. And as they were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth, they said unto him, uh, unto them, Why seek you the living among the dead? No, he's he's not here. But he's risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee? He's risen. Look at Revelation chapter 1, verse 17. And when I saw him, This is John. And when I saw him, I found that his feet is dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth. Who is this? I am he that liveth. Who is it? It's Jesus. I am he that liveth and was and was dead. And behold... I am alive. For how long? Hey, and I'm alive now forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys. Hey, devil doesn't have them. I've got the keys of death and of hell. Woo, what a savior. What a redeemer. What a truth. But there's a verse of scripture in my study that I found that you've read over and over and so have I for years 
But all of a sudden it came in here real crystal clear to me. It's found in Matthew chapter 24, verse 44. Just write it down. Look at this verse. Therefore, because of all the other stuff we just talked about, therefore, be you also ready for in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man cometh. Are we ready for the coming of the Lord? Think about this with me. How can I get myself ready, preacher, for the return of Christ? This is the second part of the message. We'll get down to Roman numeral one in just a moment. The history of our world, I, I think this is so true. The history of our world is moving toward a tremendous climax. The return of the Lord Jesus Christ to planet earth. Christ's return is a key teaching of the New Testament. What does John chapter 14 verse 3 talk about? John chapter 14, I go and prepare a place for you. I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am there, ye may be also. Look at Acts chapter number 1. Write it down please, verse number 11. Which also said, ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Now, mindful, seriously, of our limited understanding of the coming glory that will take place when Jesus Christ does appear, we've got to consider some amazing things that are going to happen here at the end. Now, do you know, does everybody understand that the rapture of the church could happen right now while I'm preaching, while you're listening, the trump could sound, and up we go. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Some folks say, well, I don't believe in that. Well, stay here. I believe it, I believe it, I believe it because the Bible said it was going to happen. It's going to happen. Amen. Jesus is coming again. And the rapture of the church could take place at any moment. Dead bodies will then be resurrected. The world as we know it and the end will be transformed into a new creation. We know that to be true too. Christ will then reign as Lord. And the final judgment will occur. Uh, unbelievers will be judged in their sins. And believers will be welcomed in their faith. Believers will experience heaven on planet earth. Wow. At one time, scientists thought the earth had always existed. The earth has not always existed. I believe, honestly, when Jesus created the earth, I believe he made it eternal. Amen? Now listen to me. But scientists thought that it was always here. I can prove that wrong because of Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning... In the beginning, you see, everything has a beginning. In the beginning, what did God do? God created the heavens and the Thank you. Hasn't always been here. It was God who created everything. Amen. We know that to be true. If the return of Christ to earth in the air, staggers your imagination, I say good. You're on the right track. Nothing in our personal experience will compare to the return of Christ. Nothing. 
Kind of like the miracle of the incarnation, God taking on human flesh in Jesus Christ. That's an unbelievable story too. Christ's return will be a miracle of gigantic proportion. If it were not for the almighty God who created the heaven and the, and the, and the earth and the universe, uh, the return of Christ would seem more like a wish than a reality. But we know that Jesus made everything, created everything, and we know he's coming back. By the way, Revelation chapter 1 verse 7 says a wonderful, powerful verse of scripture. Some folks say, well, I hope I never see all that stuff. Well, I'm sorry. Revelation chapter 1, look at the middle part of that verse. Uh, every, every eye, every eye shall see him. Do you see that? Behold, he cometh with clouds. And what's it say next? And every eye shall see him. And he also which pierced him. And all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. Jesus Christ is coming again and everybody is going to see him amen. when he comes. The return of Christ is such a significant development in God's redemptive plan. It's important to think about it now. Even though we're in our distress and trouble and heartaches, it's important for us to think about Jesus Christ's return. Christ's return motivates us to prepare now for his coming. Uh, to experience the joyful hope that his return provides and to wait uh, with courage and perseverance for the fulfillment of all of God's promises. So Roman numeral number one, you want to write it down, just one word, just prepare. Just prepare. What am I going to do? How am I going to be ready uh, for the second coming? How do I get myself ready for the return of Christ? Number one, everybody, what do I have to do? I have to... Prepare. I've got to prepare. Jesus taught us about that, uh, being ready for his return, using different stories and parables in the word of God. Again, Matthew chapter 24, verse 44. What does he say? What does he warn us about? Therefore, be also what? Be also be also ready for in such an hour that you think not the Son of Man cometh. Listen, I know folks who say, well, I don't believe he's coming. And there's a reason for that. I'll give you that in just a second. Lots of folks don't believe in Jesus. One of the stories that does tell the story about being ready is the virgins, the five wise and the five foolish. Uh, now, now, people make all kinds of uh, different stories and teachings about the virgins. I, I don't care about none of that stuff. I think the story simply tells it. Five are wise and five are foolish. And I think here's all you need to know. What made them wise they were prepared with the oil. They had their life prepared. What happened to the five that were foolish? What's the big deal about them? They did not prepare. It's just like our people today. There will be some who will prepare for Jesus Christ to come. They'll prepare their families. They'll prepare their lives. There are others who will not prepare. They'll fiddle around and just goof around and never, never prepare, never get ready, never be ready for the Son of Man to come. And that's the story. There was five wise and there's five foolish. Five went in to the wedding feast and five were not allowed to come. Now you can make all kinds of stories and teachings you want about that, but it's real simple. Five are wise and five are foolish. What are you going to be? Wise or foolish? Just real simple. Uh, you might be like the wise virgins who were prepared. And they were ready. You've received Christ into your heart by faith. Or you might be like the foolish virgins who were not ready. Who thought they had plenty of time. Uh, Christ taught that we do not know when the Son of Man is coming. Do we? We don't know. We have to prepare. Now, 
What does 2 Corinthians chapter 6 verse number 2 say? This is a powerful verse. For he saith, I have heard thee in a, a time accepted, and in the day of salvation have I secured thee. Behold, now, now, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Nobody in this church should ever put off salvation. We have to all be ready. I trust everyone in this building, from this side all the way over to this side, is ready. Now, you can't be fooling around. And you can't be putting it off. If something's radically wrong, get it right with God. He's coming. And we don't know when. But we've got to be ready. That's the important thought. Number two, hope. When you receive Jesus Christ, offer of salvation through faith in him, you can have hope. A rock-solid confidence that Jesus Christ will return and that he has prepared for you a place. How do you know that, preacher? Well, John chapter 14, one of my favorite settings of scripture. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions, right? If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Wow. If I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come and get you again. I'll come and receive you unto myself. Isn't that a wonderful, special promise? Uh, what comfort. Christ promises a, a place for believers to dwell in. And by the way, we have had so many deaths in our church family. Man, if we didn't have any hope, we'd all be miserable. Uh, don't, you, don't you just love Brother Mott? And don't you kind of, doesn't your heart kind of ache for Brother Mott? Uh, I was... Uh, talking the other day and I said to my wife you know I know I don't have to go to Florida to be with Brother Mott but I just feel like I need to I love Brother Mott he lost his first wife and what's it been a year and a half how long has it been since Gloria passed about a year and a half I think almost two and he married another lady and they were having a time of their life. Uh, Clea was so much like Wayne Mott. I mean, she, she, was a, she was a wonderful lady. Well, you, you go hunting, Wayne? I want to go hunting. Well, I'll take you hunting. You go fishing, Wayne? Yeah, yeah, I, I'll take you fishing. Okay, good, I'll go. That's the same gal who drove an 18-wheeler for like five years. Yeah. She said, so what's this golf thing about? <laughs> he said, oh, it's fun, honey. I just we hit this little white ball and goes in a hole sometimes, sometimes it doesn't. He'd explain the whole thing. Well, teach me. I want to learn how to do that. I think maybe I could beat you. <laughs> Spunky little gal. But it was just what Brother Mott needed. And I was so thrilled. And then we find out she had cancer. But I told Brother Mott, I said, Brother Mott, the other day on the phone, I said, listen, buddy, I love you. And I said, you know, the God of heaven, he knows it all. God knows it all. I said, he knew before you did that she had cancer. And I really believe he knew that she wasn't going to live long. And you were now free to marry and 
Her husband had died, and she was free to marry. And somehow you guys met. I said, I don't think that was an accident. He kind of teared up and said, you know, preacher, she just told me the other day, the last year and a half has been the most blessed years I've ever had in my life. I tell you what, God planned all that. Now, I don't know how Brother Mott's going to do. He's lonely. He's hurting. So I told my wife, I, I'm going to find a flight. I'm going to fly down there. I'm going to be there for that, that, that funeral service and spend a day or so with him. And Bill Brown said, Preacher, I want to do that too. Isn't that awesome? What a family we have here. So we're going to get ready to go down and see Brother Mott. The 30th is her funeral. You'll kind of keep that in mind. But what a thing God tells us in my father's house. Look at John uh, chapter 16, verse 33. You know, sometimes we don't seem to have much peace. We're troubled all the time. It seems like so often we respond to real problems and serious problems and immediate things that can rob us of our deep, settled peace. But even so, Jesus made it clear that peace is available to all of us. Peace is available to Brother Mott, too. Even though it's a troublesome time, these things I have spoken unto you that in me, that in me, in me, that's in Christ. You've got to get in Christ. In Christ, you can have peace. <laughs> Maybe the reason some of you don't have peace is you're not where you're supposed to be with Christ. God promised to give you peace. In the world, you shall have tribulation. Now, he already told us before we ever hit planet Earth that we were going to have trouble. The word of God said about we Christians, we will have tribulation. So if you're going through a troublesome time, that's part of, part of life. Jesus promised you would have that. He did. But be of good cheer. <laughs> I've overcome the world. What a God. What a God. Peace is based on a certain hope we have in Christ right now. Hope because Christ has promised that those who believe in him will be saved. Look at Hebrews chapter 10 verse 23. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering for he is faithful that promised. Thank God. At the return of Christ we'll also experience the resurrection of the body. This hope motivates us to affirm the following. Christ has died. We know that. I love this next phrase. Christ is risen. Come on, come on, church. Let the, let the devil hear this. Listen to me say it. Jesus Christ is risen. Amen. Devil, take a whiff of that. Oh, smutty face. He ought to just get out of here. Don't you hate the devil? With a passion. What a God we serve. Not only has Christ died, 
Christ is risen. Hang on, hang on. Someone, amen, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Jesus Christ is coming again. Amen. He's coming. Amen. Don't you let the world and pressures and trouble get you down. Jesus Christ is coming again. Amen. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. He promised he would. He's coming. When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone. Come on, help me. Faultless to stand before the throne. Everybody, on Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. One more time. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Oh, it sounds beautiful. All other ground is sinking sand. If you believe us, say amen. amen. Now, the last thought. Wait. Roman numeral number three. The first is, what do I have to do? I have to what? I have to prepare. I have to prepare. Everybody has to prepare. Secondly, I have to. Amen. (laughs) I love it. And the third. Have to wait. 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 The New Testament stresses the certainty of Christ's return. For example, the last book of the Bible concludes with a wonderful, wonderful promise. What does it say in Revelation chapter 22, verse 20? He which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly, amen. Even so come the Lord Jesus. What did he say? I come, what's the word? Quickly. I read that again and again this week. Quickly. Soon? Quickly? Perhaps you're asking, why then must we wait? If he's going to come quickly, if he's going to come soon, why do we have to wait? Why? Why is the turn of Christ so long in coming? By the way, we're not the only ones who ask that question. Why the wait? Go with me to 2 Peter chapter 3, verse number 4. Even shortly after the resurrection of Christ, the Apostle Peter records that some were asking that very question and saying, where's the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. They were asking it back then. And ladies and gentlemen, we're still asking that question today. Well, if you're coming so quickly, why wait? Peter explains God's purpose for the delay. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8 and 9. Please get this. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness. But as long-suffering to us, we're not willing that any should perish, 
but that all should come to repentance. Did you catch it? Did you get it? What's the reason for the wait? Listen, it's God's mercy. It's God's mercy. And his love for all of us and all the people of the world. You see, Jesus wants everybody to be saved. What's the Bible say? The Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to eternal life. You see, the real plan of Jesus is not for anybody to be lost. Hell was not created for you. Hell was created for the devil and his angels. But we'll go there because of our disbelief, our unbelief. He wants us all to repent and receive his gracious call. Hebrews chapter 9, verse number 28. Musicians and Brother Frank is coming. What's that verse say? So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and to them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Think of it. Salvation... And salvation's result is complete liberation from sin, an unhindered fellowship with Christ when he returns. Is the wait worth it? If any of you have children or grandchildren or moms and dads that are not saved, I don't like that little song that the southern boys would sing, wait a little longer, please, Jesus. Or I have, you know, every time I hear that, wait a little longer, and you have to sing it through your nose. Wait a little longer, please, Jesus. Uh, I say, Lord, please. We don't want you to wait. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. I don't know who you are tonight. I don't know when the last time was you came to an altar. But I don't know, just thinking about this stirs my heart and my life. He's coming. First of all, for his great mercy, I'd like to come to an altar and say, God, thank you for the mercy that you saved me. Thank you, God. Help me not to be so selfish. Give give all the believers that new birth. And in that new birth, you give us a living hope through the resurrection of Christ. I rejoice, oh God, in that living hope. Now help me to prove my faith to be genuine in the result of praise and glory and honor unto Jesus Christ.